In the first part of the Seder, we mark the particularity of our own story. And then, afterwards, at the evening's conclusion, despite the fact that we Jews have been so badly treated by so many parts of humanity, we nevertheless bring the Seder to a close by stressing our dreams for all of humanity. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 225, The Two Hallels of Passover. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In an interesting passage in her book Strangers and Neighbors, Maria Johnson, a Catholic theologian writing about Jews for a non-Jewish audience, attempts to illustrate how the Jewish Passover celebration is fundamentally different from an American Thanksgiving meal because the legal requirements that pertain to the former do not apply to the latter. She writes, describing her Jewish neighbors, quote, When everything is cleaner than my house has ever been, at least since I've lived in it, the Seder comes, the reenactment of the Hebrews' last meal as slaves. Everything is prescribed down to the smallest detail. Although it is a festive meal cooked at home and eaten around the family table, the ritual element is so strong that it is more like a liturgical celebration than like, say, Thanksgiving. By and large, on Thanksgiving, one eats turkey and green bean casserole and that strange concoction with sweet potatoes and marshmallows. But if you don't care for turkey, there's no real reason you can't have sushi. At a Seder, not only the six symbolic dishes, but even the way they are arranged on the table and the order in which they are eaten are prescribed by both time-honored tradition and law. End quote. Johnson then goes on to explain that while some Americans might tell the tale of the pilgrims and discuss their own reasons for being thankful, at the same time, quote, if you prefer to talk about sports or politics or books, then there's nothing to stop you. At a Seder, there's a little book by every seat with the script for the conversation which is a theological commentary on the meal itself. As they eat, they read, question, discuss. The aim is for those present to identify so completely with the experience of their ancestors that the thousands of years between them vanish and they feel as if they are there in Egypt on the brink of freedom, end quote. So Johnson writes, and she is correct in her assertion that the rules regarding Passover are precise. And she is also absolutely correct in understanding how Passover involves a recreation, a re-experience of the past. However, it is easy to miss that the Seder is about not only the past, but also the future. And furthermore, that through the Seder, we tell the story of ancient Israel, but also enunciate our hopes for humanity, for the world. These two themes of the Seder are linked to the Psalms we study today. Psalms usually joined, but which are separated on Passover evening and thereby highlight the complexity of Judaism itself. Psalms 113 through 118, a series of praises uttered to the Almighty, usually serve as one liturgical unit in Jewish tradition. On holidays, in joyous moments, during commemorations of the miracles of the past, these psalms are recited together. Thus, these psalms are known as Hallel, liturgical psalms of praise. But here's what is interesting. At the Seder, these psalms are split from one another, with the first two recited over the second cup of wine and the rest over the final cup, helping to bring the Seder to a close. I will suggest today that the two separate parts of Hallel reveal two separate themes to the Haggadah, two very different ideas expressed at the Seder, with one building on the other. Let us look at the beginning of Hallel, recited over the second cup, during the central portion of the Haggadah. These are two psalms that enhance each other. The first, Psalm 113, as it draws to a close, gives us a description of God's salvation. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. Then, in the next Psalm 114, the most prominent example of the Almighty's salvation is given to us. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, 
Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea sawed and fled, the Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fleest? Thou Jordan river that thou wast driven back. Ye mountains that ye skipped like rams and ye little hills like lambs. Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. Note the past tense of this psalm. It is describing miracles that have already occurred, the events of the Exodus and those that followed. The sea sawed and fled. This, of course, is the splitting of the waters and the destruction of Pharaoh's army. The Jordan River was driven back. This highlights the parallel found in Joshua's dividing of the Jordan when Israel entered the land. The reference to the mountains that skip like rams is further explicated by the next verse. Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord. This is a description of the Sinai revelation, the declaration of the Decalogue. Note the focus of the psalm. It is particularistic, a description of the unique relationship between God and Israel. Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. It is a psalm about Jewish chosenness. It is at this psalm's conclusion that the Hallel, which usually continues, is paused at the Seder only to continue at the evening's conclusion. And if we look at the next psalm, we see a shift of theme. Suddenly, it is not the exodus that is described, but the world. Suddenly, the focus is not past but future. Wherefore should the nation say, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the nation say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens, he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is every one that trusteth in them. Here the focus is on Israel's plea that the whole world come to know the one true God and recognize that the idols once worshipped are themselves not divine. The shift is from what God did for Israel to our hope for the world. This perhaps may be the meaning of the three verses that follow. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. Imagine the psalm being sung by the Levites in the temple. Israel is told to trust in the Lord. The priests of Aaron are told to trust in the Lord. Who then is being added by, ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord? Here, perhaps, it is a universal note that is sounded, a reference to a recognition of God, a relationship with God, that, through Jerusalem, where these psalms are sung, can be extended ultimately beyond the people of Israel itself. Two psalms later, this is made more explicit. In 117, which is all of two verses long, short, succinct, beautiful. O praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Here, explicitly, the focus is on all of the world coming to know God. And it is that theme that is struck over the Seder's fourth cup. Indeed, in this portion of the Passover celebration, after these psalms of praise are concluded, they are followed by another prayer universalistic in nature. May they praise you, O Lord, all whom you have created. And another. May the soul of every living being bless your name. The two parts of the Hallel are divided at the Seder because the two parts of the Seder are themselves divided in theme. The first part, the central recitation of the Haggadah, focuses on the story of Israel, the story of Israel's enemies, and the redemption of the Jews. In every generation they rise up against us to destroy us, we say, 
and God saves us from their hands. Yet the Seder concludes by emphasizing our shared humanity with the world, as Jews look forward to a time when, as Isaiah predicted, war would cease and the prophetic prediction would be fulfilled that the world will beat its swords into plowshares and its spears into pruning hooks. As we've stressed throughout this podcast, the complexity of Judaism lies in its balance of the particular and the universal. Indeed, Judaism has always stressed that only upon the embrace of Jewish particularism can the universalistic themes in Judaism also be fully appreciated. This teaching, however, is something that Jews have at times forgotten. In the opening to his memoir, Natan Sharansky reflected as follows, quote, For the activist Jews of my generation, our movement represented the exact opposite of what our parents had gone through when they were young. But we saw what had happened to their dreams, and we understood that the path to liberation could not be found in denying our own roots while pursuing universal goals. On the contrary, we had to deepen our commitment, because only he who understands his own identity and has already become a free person can work effectively for the human rights of others. In Israel, while I was writing this book, I came upon an image by the American writer Cynthia Ozick that captures this idea perfectly. The shofar, the ram's horn that is sounded in the synagogue on the high holidays, is narrow at one end and wide at the other. Nothing happens if you blow into the wide end, but if you blow into the narrow end, the call of the shofar rings loud and true. End quote. So Sharansky writes, and this point is reflected in the division of Hallel itself. In the first part of the Seder, we mark the particularity of our own story. And then, afterwards, at the evening's conclusion, despite the fact that we Jews have been so badly treated by so many parts of humanity, we nevertheless bring the Seder to a close by stressing our dreams for all of humanity. The Talmud informs us that in Temple times, the last part of Hallel was said on the rooftops of Jerusalem. And perhaps this means that the holiday pilgrims would look at the temple and then look out at the world, pondering, hoping, yearning for the age in which Isaiah's depiction of a world redeemed through Jerusalem would finally be fulfilled. Today, many Jews, prior to the final portion of Hallel, send their children to open the door for Elijah, the prophet who, as we have seen, is destined to announce the redemption. Throughout the years, after the door has been opened, and the final redemption not yet experienced, Jews still sat at their seders and finished the Hallel, remembering the salvations of the past and envisioning an age when all the world will join them in saying verses from the Hallel itself. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is Mayor Salavechek. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off. <laughs>